right, we're going to read some scripture. This is from uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 15. Familiar words to some of us. Let me read. You can follow along on the screen. Uh, This is what the Apostle Paul writes about uh, the gospel and salvation. Verse 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him, Jesus, from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Paul writes, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. May God add his blessing to his word this morning. So let's, let's pray together this morning. Lord, uh, thank you that uh, as we think about our world being in chaos today, as we think about what's happening in Ukraine, and as we think about the horrific events of the Middle East, we think of people that are suffering. Lord, we uh, pray for the hostages this morning. Lord, we pray for their safe return. We pray for these families that are in deep anguish, wondering about the safety and the welfare of their loved ones. Lord, we ask that you would um, protect them. Lord, we pray for um, uh, the, the peace in the Middle East. We pray for a quick resolution to this war. We pray for the safety of innocent people who have been caught in the crossfire of this. And Lord, we thank you that um, we can trust you. And Lord, we know as we read the book of Revelation that this is just a little snippet of what's going to happen in the end times. So, Lord, may we be emboldened to not only pray, but also to share the good news of the gospel with others. And now, Lord, we pray that you would bless us as we look into your word and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we have been looking at the, at the book of Acts, and we're going to continue our series on the book of Acts. Last Sunday, we were in <clears throat> Acts chapter 9 the last half of the book, and uh, just to refresh your memory, uh, the story of Peter and how Peter, through the power of God's word and the name of Jesus, uh, healed someone by the name of uh, Aeneas, and then also we saw that he raised Tabitha from the dead. And as I'm looking at the screen, I forgot that um, I also wanted to take a moment to share some pictures with you. So we'll, we'll get back to the book of Acts. But uh, just a reminder, remember in um, the month of June, we had the privilege of sharing a significant gift with John and Becky Shirley and their ministry of rescuing uh, children from the uh, streets of the Dominican Republic and Haiti. And so John just sent me an email this week and a little bit of an update Let me read that to you, and then we'll get into the book of Acts. And um, here's uh, here's John's quick note. 
John writes, here are some pictures I recently received of the children rescued through Community Bible Church's gift. It's amazing to think of how their lives have been so drastically changed. Thank you again for being used by God to accomplish this. So sometimes you wonder, like, you know, are we making a difference? Are we impacting kids' lives? Uh, maybe through Awana or through our church ministry. And uh, so in June, we passed on $20,000 to uh, Love Goes Home from uh, Live Live Global Ministry. And we got an initial few pictures of uh, John and Shirley taking a trip uh, down to um, Haiti. And uh, now uh, he just sent a quite a few pictures of some kids that have been rescued through your generosity. So I thought we'd just show them this morning very quickly, and uh, I think there's about 18 of them, so we can just uh, run through these and think about the fact that uh, these are pictures of kids that were living on the streets. And through uh, Love Goes Home and their ministry, uh, they're able to rescue these kids, they're able to match them up with families in a local church. Now they have a bed to sleep in, uh, they feel safe and secure, and uh, the good news is they also uh, begin attending that local church and they begin to hear about Jesus, and many of them put their faith in Jesus. And so there's some great smiles here, and I just wanted you to see uh, the impact that you have made through your uh, generous giving. Let me just read a couple prayer requests from uh, from John while we finish up those pictures. John says, uh, pray for this. Working in Nepal and India is much more complicated. Pray for provision and wisdom. Those are a couple other countries where they want to go and rescue children. Uh, number two, the security issue in Haiti is desperate. Uh, number three, uh, we are praying and working towards being fully supported in April. This will allow us to spend all of our efforts on rescuing rather than support raising and then he talks about the fact that um, Becky's been asked to take a, a position overseeing missions trip within their mission. So that's just a brief update from John and Becky Shirley. All right, now let's jump into the book of Acts. And uh, this is uh, Acts chapter 10. Uh, the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. You know, as we think about this uh, chapter in Acts chapter 10, it's really a pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. And in, in Scripture, as we think about the difference between uh, being inclusive and being exclusive. Now, there are many organizations and groups today in America that you can join, but you have to be a part of their particular qualifications to join the group or the club. Like this morning, I'd love to be a member of the Yacht Club. The problem is I don't have a yacht. I can't afford a yacht. It's kind of an exclusive, exclusive group. There's many other organizations that are exclusive by uh, gender. Boy Scouts of America, although that's been challenged in the courts recently. Uh, that, that's exclusive by gender, Girl Scouts of America. There's other groups that are exclusive by race. The NAACP started in 1909. National Association for the Advancement of Colored People is what those, that acrostic stands for. There are many, many other groups that are exclusive by economics. I went on the website and, and Googled the world's most exclusive member clubs, and here's a few of them. 
you could join the CORE organization, C-O-R-E, that's based in New York City. It's for people who are making a difference and have a restlessness to change the world. The initial fee to join the club is $100,000, and then you have dues of about $20,000 a year to be a part of the core group. Uh, There's a club called the Hurling Hand Club. It's based in London. On their website, their fee was undisclosed. (laughs) They, they, They didn't even want to put it on their website. This club provides its members with first-class social and sporting events. King Edward VII went pigeon hunting, shooting through this club years ago. However, you will probably have to wait 15 years for a current member to resign or die before you can become a non-voting member and then wait another 15 members before being considered for voting membership. So that's the Hurlingham Club. There's the Capital Club. In Dubai, United Arab Emirates. Again, on their website, their fee was undisclosed. It's the most exclusive business club in the Middle East. Membership by invitation only. And applicants must be recommended by two present club members in order to get in. And so these are clubs and organizations that are exclusive by economics. Because unless you're very, very wealthy, you're not going to be a part of that that club. Well, this morning, I'm glad that as we think about Acts chapter 10 and we think about the good news of the gospel and we think about Christianity, that Christianity is not exclusive, it is inclusive. Uh, The verses that we read in our scripture reading, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Regardless of your gender, regardless of your race, regardless of your economic status, the gospel is for everyone. Now, we know that in the year 2023, but put yourself back into first century life and first century thinking. Uh, Jesus has has come on the scene, and his death, burial, and resurrection, and now um, he's ascended to heaven, and the book of Acts is a transition book, and now there's first century Jews who for century have been identified as God's chosen people, God's special chosen people. And now the gospel comes and there's a transition to the fact that the gospel isn't just for Jews. Thank God for that this morning, right? The gospel is for everyone, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan. And we accept that today, but for first century Jews who for thousands of years have practiced the the disciplines of Judaism, it was a huge, huge transition. And so this morning we're going to look at a a passage from Acts chapter 10 that uh, God used to let the the Jewish people know the gospel is for everyone. So we're going to start in our our text and our outline, and we're going to start by... uh, being introduced to a man by the name of Cornelius. And we're going to see Cornelius's vision. That's verses 1 through 8. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 10 of Acts at Caesarea. So in our geography, uh, remember in Acts chapter 9, Peter uh, ended up in a place called Joppa, that, and that's where he raised Tabitha from the dead. That was a, a seacoast city by the Mediterranean Sea, Caesarea is 27 miles north on the coast. And so we're introduced to a man by the name of Cornelius. Uh, 
What do we know about him? Well, he was a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. So Dr. Luke tells us he's a military man. He's a man of uh, a position of authority. Centurion meant you were over 100 other soldiers that were underneath your command. He was a member of the Italian Regiment. He was a Gentile. Notice Dr. Luke describes his character and his family. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. So here's this man. His his resume is pretty impressive. He's a military man. Uh, He's an officer. He's uh, a centurion. He fears God. He gives generously to other people and to, to meet the needs of the poor. And he prays regularly. Now, that's a a pretty interesting uh, description of of a man's character. And here's my question. Based on that resume, that sounds pretty impressive, my question to you, in your mind, is Cornelius saved? In other words, the Bible says he fears God, he gives regularly to generous causes, he prays regularly, he's devout. Is Cornelius saved? A Christian. And the answer to that is, is found a little later on in the book. And so let's just, um, let me just go to Acts chapter 11. And we're going to jump ahead real quick here. Peter is recounting the story of Acts chapter 10 to the church leaders in Jerusalem. Notice what he says about Cornelius and this experience. This is Acts 11, 13, and 14. Um, he, regarding Cornelius, told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. Here to verse 14. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Will be saved. So Cornelius is not a believer. Isn't that interesting that the Bible's description is he fears God, he's devout, he gives generously, but he doesn't know Jesus as a Savior. And so Cornelius has a a vision, and uh, we're going to just read briefly that vision, and we're going to read a lot of text here so you can get the storyline. It says, one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. So this military man, this Gentile, this God-fearing man has this vision. An angel says, send some people to a town 27 miles south by the, the, the town of Joppa and go to the house of Simon the Tanner, and you will find a man there, Peter, And ask him to come. And so that's what Cornelius does. Now in the meantime, God's also working at the other end of the equation. And we read about Peter's vision. 
And Peter has a, a, a vision. It's the next day. And uh, let's look at, at Peter's vision in verse 9. Um, it says, about noon the following day. So this is 21 hours after Cornelius' vision, which was at 3 o'clock in the afternoon the previous day. 21 hours later, Peter has a vision. As, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Middle East had flat roofs. They used that for, for living space, so very, very common in Middle Eastern culture. They're usually an outside staircase, and you go up on the roof and, and use that as living space. So Peter's up there praying. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice came and told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter resists. Peter is a good Jew. Peter follows the Old Testament. He follows the, the dietary laws of, of the, that God gave to the Jewish people. And the food on this sheet was not lawful for a Jew to eat. The voice, and, and so Peter answers, Surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped by the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? They recount this vision from Cornelius that they've been sent. And so Peter invites them into their house as guests. So God is at work here on both ends of the equation. Cornelius up in Caesarea has a vision the next day, Peter and Joppa has a, has a vision, and God is what? Arranging for Peter and Cornelius to come together. And that's what happens in the next section here of the storyline. Peter visits Cornelius. Now you have to remember in that day, Jews did not enter the houses of Gentiles. Uh, this, is, this is a huge barrier for Peter to overcome to actually go into the house of a Gentile. And yet this is what God has told him to do. And so uh, we read about Peter's visit. This is the next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. Six of Peter's friends went along with him. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and he called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence, but Peter made him get up. Stand up. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or even visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent, I came without raising any objection 
may I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius repeats the vision that he saw to Peter. And uh, just for sake of time, um, Peter then, in verse uh, 34 through 48, comes to a very vital conclusion. And what's the conclusion? The gospel is for everyone. That this is not just a, a, a Jewish thing, that you don't have to follow the, the Old Testament dietary laws and the Old Testament sacrificial system, that uh, Jesus has come and the good news of the gospel is for everyone, regardless of race, regardless of um, your social standing, regardless of your economic standing. And so uh, Peter comes to this vital conclusion. Verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. God does not, God is, some translations say God is no respecter of persons. God does not show favoritism. Now what does Peter do? Um, Verse 35, he says, But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And now he shares the gospel. He shares the, the, the gospel with those that are there in Cornelius' house, there in, in, in Caesarea. And um, let me just read a, a portion of it, beginning in verse th- uh, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But here's the gospel. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter shares the gospel, and then something dramatic happens, just like in Acts chapter 2 when we had Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came and there was the sound of a rushing wind and people began to speak in in uh, foreign tongues and foreign languages. We have a little mini Pentecost happening here in, in Caesarea on on the Gentiles. So look what happens, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had poured out even on Gentiles. Now they're realizing that the gospel and this new movement called Christianity isn't just an exclusive club, but even Gentiles can become part of God's forever family. And so, uh, verse 46, they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we are. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They then asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. And so uh, Gentiles come into the, into the church and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And now Peter and, had perhaps the six men that came with him have the privilege of baptizing these Gentiles as part of God's 
forever family. Well, this is a key turning point and a key uh, chapter in the book of Acts for those early Jews and even uh, the Apostle Peter to recognize that the gospel is for everyone. And uh, God uh, gave him a vision to clearly uh, communicate that message to Peter and to all of us, that the gospel is for everyone. Well, this morning we're going to look at uh, just some life lessons from Acts chapter 10 that we can uh, apply to our lives. There are four of them. So let's look at the first one this morning as we've kind of taken a quick run by Acts chapter 10. Here's the first one. While in the past... God spoke through dreams and visions. Today, God primarily, emphasizing primarily, speaks to us through his written word. So we read the Old Testament and and, and the New Testament, and we see that um, God oftentimes came to people in dreams and communicated. Joseph had dreams in the Old Testament. Uh, Jacob had a a dream. Uh, Daniel had dreams that God communicated truth to him. And here in the book of Acts, we see God speaking to people through visions. Can God still do that today? Yes. Does he still do that today? I I think he, he, he can and he does. But what we have to realize is that primarily God speaks to us through his written word. Oftentimes, um, Sometimes people would say to me, I wish God would just speak to me directly. And one of the the answers to that expression that God speaks directly is that um, God has already spoken. Here's Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, through visions and through dreams. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so God has spoken to us. He's spoken to us through the living word, Jesus, the written word, God's word. We have 66 books of God's message and instruction to us. And he wants us to read it. He wants us to obey it. And so God in these days primarily speaks to us through his word. And that's why we need to be uh, people of the book that are reading his word and knowing his word and applying his word. Secondly, uh, from Acts chapter 10, God sovereignly orchestrates the circumstances and events of our lives. God sovereignly orchestrates the circumstances and events of our lives. You see how God's working in Acts chapter 10 on both ends of the equation. Here's a a, a Gentile, a God-fearing man, but an unbeliever up in Caesarea, and God speaks to him through an angel, and he has this vision to send for Peter. The next day, as they're traveling down to get Peter, as Peter's praying, God sends a a, a vision to, to Peter, and he sees this vision of this sheet coming down, rise, kill, and eat three times, And God is orchestrating the circumstances in Peter's life to bring these two people together uh, to communicate a very, very important message. God sovereignly orchestrates the circumstances and events of our lives. 
That means if you're a believer this morning, there's no, there's no ac- accidents in your life. There's no happenstance. There's nothing that happens in our lives that God says, that took me by surprise. Because God is intimately involved in, in our lives, in our circumstances, and in everything that happens to us. Nothing can happen to me today, nothing good, nothing bad, without first passing through the Father's hand. That was true from the book of Job, wasn't it? The horrific experiences that Job went through, but they was only came to Job because God allowed them to in his sovereign will. And so God is at work um, in us and through us, and we can trust him through the good, through the bad, to accomplish his purposes And what is his purpose? Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29, that God works all things together for good to those that love him, to those who are called according to his purpose, so that we might be what? Conformed to the image of his son. His goal for our life is Christ-likeness. And so God is at work, and we need to trust him as he sovereignly orchestrates the circumstances and events of our lives. Number three. The third uh, life lesson here is this. You can be devoutly religious and not be saved. Did you know that there are millions of people who are sitting in church pews this morning who are attending church and doing their religious obligation, but they're not followers of Jesus? They haven't, they haven't come to, to know him. That was true of Cornelius. Cornelius was devout. Cornelius was God-fearing. Cornelius prayed. Cornelius gave generously to others. But Cornelius did not know Jesus as his Savior. And so people can be devoutly religious. You can go to church every Sunday. You can put money in the offering plate. You can be active in the church. You can be on the worship team. You can pray. You can do all sorts of religious good deeds, but not be saved. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What did uh, Jesus say in that chilling passage in Matthew chapter 7, um, verses 21 through 23? The subtitle, True and False Disciples, these are the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, he's talking about the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name, and in your name we drove out demons, and in your name performed many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. We did all these religious things in your name. And Jesus says, I didn't know you. You did not have a personal relationship with me through Jesus. And so the chilling fact is that going to church doesn't save you. Being baptized doesn't save you. Doing good works doesn't save you. Uh, Doing good deeds, uh, serving in the church doesn't save you. The only thing that saves you is what Linda sang about this morning. It's the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for your sin and my sin. And the only entrance to heaven is through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. 
Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. And so how do we come to faith in Jesus? We admit that we're a sinner. We turn from our sin and understand who Jesus is and what he's done. And we put our faith and trust in him and him alone to save us. Nothing to the cross I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And so there are many people in our world today that are religious, that go to church regularly every Sunday, but they don't know Jesus. And the primary thinking of many people that are your neighbors, are your co-workers and people that we meet, and, and this is uh, when I begin to, to share Christ and explain the gospel or when I ask uh, a question, which I, I often do when I'm engaging and witnessing with somebody, like, okay, you're standing before heaven's gates and God were to say, why should I let you in? Why should he let you into heaven? You know what most people say? I'm a pretty good person. I think I've lived a pretty good life and I haven't done all these horrible things. So I think that when I stand before God, he's going to let me in. And then um, they need to know the truth that that's not enough that good works do not save you, but it's only through Jesus. So here is Cornelius, devoutly religious, and yet he did not come to know Christ until he had heard the message of Peter, and he came to faith in Jesus. Well, here's the last, uh, last life lesson is this, and it's the title of our uh, sermon this morning. The gospel is for everyone. That's the main truth of Acts chapter 10. It's not for just for Jews. It's not just for Gentiles. But the gospel is for everyone. Uh, Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. As we read the rest of that passage, though, in our scripture reading, the Apostle Paul asks five very searching questions right after he makes that statement. And let me read them again to you from verses 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they've not yet heard? And how can they hear without someone, the NIV says, preaching to them? And we might think, oh, I'm off the hook because that's the preacher's job. Well, actually, the word there is caruso. It means herald. How, in other words, how can they hear about Jesus unless somebody heralds or tells them or proclaims the good news? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And so the gospel is for everyone. But we also need to realize that uh, the way that God's designed for the gospel to be shared is for you and I to be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that people like to share good news? Uh, I don't spend inordinate time on social media, but I I, I do spend time on Facebook simply because I like to uh, get connected with people and what's going on in their lives. And uh, over and over again, you read on Facebook that people are, are posting what? Good news, and uh, here's our here's our vacation in some exotic place, or good news of the arrival of a, a new family member, a new baby, good news of an engagement, good news of a wedding, 
People love to share good news. And you and I have good news this morning. The good news of the gospel. That through what Christ has done, through his shed blood on the cross, that we have forgiveness of sins, that we can pass from darkness to light, that we can pass from death to life, and we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that heaven is our home, that our sins are forgiven, and we can um, have that hope of eternal life with him someday. The gospel is for everyone. The very name of the gospel is good news. And uh, we need to be faithful in sharing that. And thank you for your generosity in sharing uh, the good news with those uh, 18 pictures that we saw this morning. Um, We don't know the names of those children, but we can be praying that uh, they, now that their life has been taken from living on the streets to living with a a family that uh, attends a Bible-believing church, that they will come to faith in Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we are so grateful that Christianity is not an exclusive club. We're thankful for the fact that the the truth of Christianity is open to everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, whether bond or free. Lord, no matter what our economic status is, no matter what our social status is, Lord, we thank you that the gospel is for everyone, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, thank you for the the ministry and the the church or the person that was involved in sharing the good news with us, whether it was a mom or a dad or whether it was a church ministry, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a youth worker, a friend. Lord, may we in turn um, share the good news that uh, Jesus has come, that he's paid the penalty. It's not about doing, it's about what's been done and that we can have the forgiveness of sins. Lord, I I, I pray if there's one person here this morning that perhaps has been just trusting in the fact that they, they've come to church or they've done good deeds, Lord, um, may today be the day that they realize that it's only through Christ. May they receive that gift, that wonderful gift of eternal life. And may we share that good news with others. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.